I'm Lynette Hoffman, and this is Beyond the Table, the podcast that explores food and cuisine from around the world and tells the stories of the people who create it. So I like snails because snails are low calories and they're really very healthy and it's a delicacy. But don't you cook it in like a butter sauce that's not low calorie? No, I don't do that. That's the French style. No, No, we make it in sliced pepper. It's really low calorie. People use it to lose weight in my country, like a diet. Not because it's gross, but... <laughs> no, no, it's, it's gross when you see them making it, but when it's done, delicious. I, mean, I don't look forward to getting it out of the shell. I, I buy the ones they've already done. It's really messy. They're very sticky to clean. Okay, so this episode's going to be a little different than usual. And the snail diet, that's a bit of a diversion too. But when I found out that African snails are often the size of your fist and that they can grow up to 25 centimeters long... I kind of had to include it, but I digress. The snail aficionado that you just heard, that's Cassandra. Um, My name is Cassandra Poroya Dewusi. I'm a Nigerian. I was born in Ikeja, the Lagos, the capital of Lagos. So I'm a city girl. I I won't qualify as a typical village girl because my village is in the city. Cassandra and her family moved to Sydney three years ago, so her husband could pursue a master's degree. Cassandra works full-time doing admin at St. Vincent's de Paul. She volunteers at three places, and she's raising two young boys. She's super busy, but unlike the other foodies featured on Beyond the Table so far, Cassandra's not a chef, and she doesn't own a restaurant or a catering business. She does, however, have a culinary claim to fame. Now, okay, if you win tonight, yeah, Cassandra, how are you going to celebrate Dance. You're going to dance. Ah, well, we all here to dance tonight. So thank you very much, Cassandra. And I'm sure we are going to give us the best music from the party tonight. In July, Cassandra was crowned winner of Sydney's Jollof Wars. This is the West African version of a classic cooking competition, kind of like a chili off in the US. The event was held in Auburn and put on by Cumberland Council and Africultures. I probably would never have known about it, except that I told some people who I'd just met in a pub about this podcast I was about to launch. One of the girls had previously worked for the local council, and she recommended I check it out. So with so many varieties of jollof, there is a serious debate about which country in West Africa makes the best jollof rice. That's what we have tonight. The winner was decided by popular vote, with... Cooks from Nigeria, Ghana, Senegal, and Sierra Leone all vying for the title. But on this night, Nigeria took the win. The night of the event was chaotic, so we caught up on Cassandra's lunch break a few days later. And she happens to work in a part of Sydney that's right below the flight path. So there's a couple points in the podcast where you can hear a loud noise, and that's what it is, but it should just be brief. Now, I have a confession to make. Before I attended this feast, I had no idea what jollof was. But after a night of immersion, I'm feeling much more confident. So if you're not sure either, here's the basics. Jollof is a one-part rice dish. The constants seem to be rice, tomato, and a variety of spices. But the exact ingredients and how it's served and what you eat it with, all of that varies 
from country to country and region to region. Everybody has a unique recipe to it. There's a basic standard recipe, but because you pick up things around, like one of my grandmas is Ghanaian. When I was with her in Ghana, there's a way she cooked her jollof rice, so I picked something from it. Probably won't tell you all my secrets, but my jollof rice would be unique to me. The consensus seems to be that jollof originated in Senegal, but it's hugely popular throughout West Africa, and there's some fierce rivalry over who makes it best. There was no prize other than pride and bragging rights at Sydney's jollof wars, but the cooks took it pretty seriously. We got there at 8 o'clock in the morning, and we didn't finish cooking till 3 because of all the slicing and the dicing and the blending. We were three in the kitchen, chopping and dicing and blending. You know, because it was a lot of food, we made um, a 10 kg bag of rice. Like, you know, your home jollof rice, you just throw in all the ingredients and it's ready. But when you are cooking jollof rice for an event or a party, you follow a process. You take your time. There's no good party without a jollof rice. And we really make it spicy. Whether it's the fast food version that you whip up at home or the more time-consuming festive variety, jollof rice is an everyday part of life in Nigeria. There's no home. I don't think in, I'm sure in every Nigerian home, once a week as a minimum, jollof rice, it's, it's a necessity. <laughs> so even living in Australia, do you make it once a week still? Oh, yeah, I make it more than once a week. But it, now because power is steady here, I can make a whole lot. So I make a whole lot and you can take them for one and a half weeks, you know, as long as the rice doesn't get frozen. So how often does the power go out in Nigeria and uh, how does that impact the cooking? Uh, well, that's why people cook on it almost on a daily basis. We have, those are the challenges of Africa, really. But for me, fortunately, I had solar in my house and I have the generators. So, you know, I, I'm, I've, I'm one of the fortunate few that knew about things like that and put things in place. I had a good job. So there was money to do those things. But for some... It's really, really bad, you know. So the power, is, you can't, it's erratic. But people say it's getting better, but I don't know. I haven't been there in a while, so I'm not sure. According to the American government agency USAID, 55% of Nigerians don't have access to electricity at all. That's about 95 million people. And that stat was current as of the 26th of January this year. For those who do have power, outages are rampant. So much so that the website Nigeria Electricity Hub reported that in the first six months of 2017, there were a dozen full system collapses and two partial collapses. The power is really, really bad. So that's what is even hindering all the infrastructure. When there's no power to do business, how do you do business? So that's, that's Nigeria. But for all the convenience of cooking in Australia, there's also a bit of a trade-off. Some of the flavors are difficult to reproduce here. So normally in, for, in Nigeria, for a party, they use the firewood. That's another unique taste which we won't be able to get here. I was thinking I'll use the barbecue stand. I'll try it out if I can get a pan that can sit on it. That is, the, in fact, the ultimate jollof rice is the jollof rice cooked with firewood. So you know there's something about firewood. It's like when you, have a bar- you do a barbecue on charcoal and you do a barbecue on an electric cooker, it's different. But for the most part... Cassandra has embraced Aussie shortcuts. I'm going to try and cook with a rice cooker. I've been thinking about it, but I'm not sure if it'll come out right because you know that fry thing. 
What kind of rice do you use? Um, at home, I actually use the um, Uncle Ben's. But for the occasion, I use the basmatic rice. Yeah. Because oh, Uncle Ben's is just easy to buy at the shops. Just buy a pack, one pack. I know that's enough. But I use the basmatic rice. Basmatic rice is really nice. Yeah. And do you chop and blend everything by hand? Do you use a food processor? No, we use a food processor. Even uh, in Nigeria? Yeah, in Nigeria, yeah. yes. But if people in the villages may use the blend. But life has changed. People don't... Yeah. I, don't I don't think I've really seen anybody using the local system in a really long while. What is the local system? Yeah, they pound oh. it or they use the grinding stone. I don't think I've seen that in ages. And one of my great-grandmas used to do it. You know, she, you know, she blends with the stone. But I see the stone somewhere in one of my auntie's houses, but I don't, I don't see anybody, you know, you know where the world has changed. Everybody's now, like, technology compliant, <laughs> if I can use that word. Unfortunately, I don't have any more really, really old, like, great-grandmas. My grandmas, you know, they use blenders and things, so I haven't seen anybody with the stone, you know, in a while. It's really nice, like a marble stone with a marble roller. They still use the mortar for unique recipes that needs the pepper in a certain way. But you can as well use the blender and not blend it to a paste. So I use the blender. So since I had Sydney's Jollof champion on hand, I tried to glean as much insight as I could about how to cook the perfect Jollof rice. <laughs> so tell me how you make it. What's involved? Um, basically, it's rice cooked in tomato paste. But everybody has a signature process. You get the um, capsicum, habanero pepper, and plum tomatoes, because it's unique. Plum tomatoes has a special redness, all blended together in a smooth paste. You slice the onions, so you heat up the oil a bit, just a little oil. Put the onions in and let it fry a bit, so you know, gets that nice aroma. Pour the pepper in, that's the blended paste. Let it cook. You, are, you then you add your spices. You know, we use nor cubes. That's a type of stock cube that they sell in Nigeria. And curry, thyme, you know, some people put rosemary, coriander, it depends. So you let it cook. When it's properly cooked, you see that the oil is on top of it and you leave it. For the rice, we wash the rice out to reduce so that it doesn't come out too sticky. You know, rice is a bit starchy. So we wash it. I do like at least 10 washes. So it's really so that because I, I want it to come out in grains. After washing, I pour it into the pot of the sauce. So you make sure the sauce covers the rice. I hardly use water. It's the steam that makes the jollof rice. So in order to get the rice totally steamed, I put foil on it. So I put it on low heat. So the rice gradually soaks up the sauce. So the, the basic thing is you need to make your sauce very, very tasty. So, so that the rice can soak up the sauce. After the rice has soaked up all the sauce and it's not still properly cooked, then we add water just little by little. And you add a little salt to taste to make sure that you still have that taste. Because if the sauce doesn't taste right, the rice won't come out nice. And that's it. We add tomato paste. If you've, you know, it's not compulsory, but because we want it to be really red, we add the tomato paste too. And with the side dishes, we have plantain. We have what to call moin moin. It's made with beans. You have the chicken, you have the beef, you have fish, you have stripes, you have goat meat. It's like, it's endless. And you have salad if you want. There's coleslaw, you know. And do you have any tricks or tips? Uh, well, the trick is steam, steam, steam. Too much water makes it a uh, casserole. You have to allow the rice steam. Steam and gently stir. 
the wooden spoon is I think is a very good trick not the regular spoon if you use the wood the straight you know not the wooden spoon with the spoon at the end there's a wooden spoon that comes straight up without the, the spoon at the end so you can really stay properly you know the, not the scoop spoon yeah so do you have to keep lifting the foil up yeah uh, you have to because you won't be able to but stay. it still can steam so do you leave it for a few minutes and then do it or? yeah I leave it for five minutes every I do an interval of five minutes but sometimes we allow it burn a bit because that gives it some flavor. But we continue to stay like every five minutes or at your discretion. You know, you feel it, you have to cook. Yeah. It's just instinct. After some time, it's just intuitive, you know. Oh, it's time to check. Like I know when it's ready. Even Sometimes I don't taste it, but I know. You know how you get, you're just you're so used to cooking it, you just know. She's also got a whole process organized to fit time-consuming African cooking into the Aussie lifestyle. For me, because of how life is in Australia, I do them in batches. I blend the pepper a day before. <laughs> I slice the onions and put them in the fridge. I do the chicken the day before. Like, I don't cook the chicken. I may, I may perboil it in the spices and put it back in the fridge. So the next day, so that I don't spend the whole day, you know, there's no time really. So I, I do mine in bits. It's like for this week now, I already have my pepper blended in the fridge. I have my chicken ready, so maybe tomorrow or next I make the jollof rice. You know, so it's 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 a system. And sometimes, you know, when you have food in the fridge, you need to put them in separate containers because if people keep opening and opening and taking out, it may get sour. So I, you know, there's a system. And since I have boys, they always eat. I never jollof rice never always. <laughs> I was hoping Cassandra could maybe recommend a good cookbook, but she said to just get online and search. If you do, though, remember this tip. Google Nigerian party jollof. That gives you a better taste, a better feel. So if you get a party jollof, you enjoy it better than the regular home cooking jollof. You know, you're making it for guests, so you know, you put in extra love and extra effort. <laughs> and you can find most of the essential ingredients here, at least if you're in a big city. At first, I was worried about getting African food, but we eat similar things as Asians. So yams, the habanero pepper, the plantain, okra, we all get it from the shops, even the jute leaves from the Asian shops. There is maybe one exception, though. So is there anything you can't get? Yes. There's a particular um, vegetable. It's called ugu. It's from fluted pumpkin leaves. You don't have that here. The people, they sell the dry ones, but it doesn't, I don't like the taste. Cassandra substitutes spinach for that one, but it's not quite the same. But the pumpkin leaves, they stay strong for a long time. So with the spinach, you know, if you keep, you know, digging in and digging in, the leaves get a bit tired. <laughs> yes. I tried to use kale, but it didn't come out right, you know. So I used the kale for the smoothies. <laughs> You're definitely Australian now. Uh, yeah, I am. I'm trying. It's, it's fun. <laughs> the boys love it. <laughs> Jalof was, was way more than just taste testing. The cooks prepared an enormous all-you-can-eat feast. I'll post some pictures and a shot of the menu on my website because listing it all on here won't do it justice. The space was beautifully decorated and there was live music and dance performances and a DJ. I decided to go on my own because that's usually the best way to meet people, but there's always a slight risk when you do that, that no one talks to you and you end up hovering in a corner on your own. 
Luckily, as I was walking from the train station, this woman came up beside me and asked for directions to the venue. Of course, I had no clue either, and I have a terrible sense of direction. So as we wandered over together, it took us about 10 minutes longer than it needed to. But it was such a relief to have this bubbly woman from Ghana called Theodora. She immediately welcomed me into her circle and introduced me to all the cooks that she knew. And everybody she didn't know, Theodora tracked down, got their phone numbers, told them about my project, which didn't even exist on the interwebs yet. And I ended up having a wonderful night eating delicious food, way too much of it, but delicious nonetheless. Sound from this episode was recorded at the Joloff Wars event, with permission. The music is by Marlon Silla. He's the one singing and playing the Cora, and he was absolutely outstanding. He's a member of the band Afro Nomads, and I'll put a link to their Facebook page on my website at lynettehoffman.com. So if you're around Sydney, I highly recommend checking out Africultures. Their website is A-F-R-I-C-U-L-T-U-R-E-S dot com dot A-U. And their main event of the year is this giant festival, which is coming up on Saturday, the 19th of March. It's an annual festival celebrating African culture, and this is the 10th year. So there'll be food and dancing and lots of music. So just a few updates and announcements. I'm sure you've noticed that I've been putting out episodes every four weeks instead of every two weeks, which is what I had originally planned. The reason for that is that I really want Beyond the Table to be an ongoing project. And since I'm working full time, the only way to have it be sustainable for me is to spend a bit longer on each episode so that the quality isn't compromised and then put them out a little bit more infrequently. As always, I'd love to hear from you if you have any feedback or suggestions of stories you'd like to hear more about or people that you think I should interview or community events that you think would be fun to attend. Just let me know and I will do my best to get there. Head over to my website, lynettehoffman.com. That's L-Y-N-N-E-T-T-E-H-O-F-F-M-A-N.com and send me an email. Add me on social media. I'm Nomad Lynette on Instagram and Twitter and Beyond the Table is on all of the social media as well. We're Beyond the Table podcast on Facebook and Instagram and Beyond the Tab pod on Twitter. So thanks for listening to Beyond the Table. Beyond the Table.